Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining me on the Resilient Leaders Podcast, where resilience in leadership is not simply a good idea, it's required. I'm your host, J.R. Briggs. And before we get started today, I'd like to ask a quick favor of you. If you if you haven't done it so already, I would be deeply grateful if you took just 45 seconds to write a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps people to discover the show. If you've already done that, thank you so much. And if you don't like giving reviews, I can completely respect that as well. Instead, would you do me a favor and would you be willing to send this to a friend, a colleague, a team member, or family member who you think would benefit from this podcast? The number one way this podcast grows is by word of mouth. And if we can borrow your mouth for 45 seconds, I would greatly appreciate it. Oh, and make sure you check out the show notes after every episode for links, resources, and contact information. By the way, on an earlier episode, we talked about feedback and how I would love to hear from you. I asked, how can we make this podcast just 5% better? And within the first hour of the podcast launching, I heard from a handful of you with very specific and helpful feedback. Thank you. I loved it and hopefully we'll keep on improving. All right, well, let's jump in. Today, we're gonna look at the topic of resiliency versus efficiency. Of course, the virus has been on everyone's minds. Some people have called it an interruption to our lives. Well, it's actually much more significant than that. It's a disruption to every area of our lives. The pandemic could also be called the great disruptor. And when global disruptions occur, we must step back and think carefully, thoughtfully, and critically about how we're to lead. That's the whole point of this podcast. But I think even more than being a disruptor, it's also been an accelerator. The rate of change is speeding up big time, and it's taking the present and accelerating us much quicker than before into the future. My father-in-law, Rick Holman, was a futurist for General Motors for many years. When we would travel to my in-law's house in the Detroit area, there would often be virtual reality goggles laying around or drones that would be flying around through the house. But he's no crazy-haired eccentric Doc Brown from Back to the Future. He is a thoughtful, curious, voracious reader and a lifelong learner. You see, futurism is not palm reading. It is not predicting the future or looking for fads. It's going out into the horizon with keen observation and paying attention to trends and patterns and themes that are emerging oftentimes in the years and the decades into the future. His role was not coming up with the design of next year's cars for GM. Instead, they were much bigger, longer term, and more significant questions such as, If the population of China and India and other Asian cities continue to rise, what impact does population and pollution have on how we think about cars? How should transportation change based on these factors? Now he's retired from General Motors, but he continues to stay in the game and serve as one of the facilitators for an organization called the Institute for the Future, along with other networks of futurists. Our conversations have always been fascinating and meaningful, and I'm grateful for him and our ongoing conversations. Of course, one of the first leaders I called when this pandemic broke out was my father-in-law, and I just asked, what do you see? What are you noticing? Who is handling the disruption the best? It's one of our, in one of our first conversations regarding the implications of the virus that he said something that uncorked something in my brain. He talked about resiliency versus efficiency. He said, efficiency and resiliency are not the same things. Resiliency is a word that we should all be wise to pay much more attention to in the future. He said, in fact, it it was in that conversation 
that prompted me to think seriously about starting this podcast. You see, to be a resilient leader or corporation, business, nonprofit, or church is to be flexible and pliable and moldable. But he said to be an efficient leader or organization is to be quite brittle and to leave yourself quite vulnerable. Trying to do more with less sounds great, can save money, deliver products quicker to customers, but there is a hidden cost to efficiency. I asked him to expound upon this further, and he said that when you are an efficiency, an efficient organization, you can do things quickly and productively, but it's only one system. The moment that system is disrupted, the time when the train jumps the tracks and there are no longer any more tracks to run on, that's a difficult place to be. The Atlantic recently published an article titled, Efficiency is Biting Back. Decades of streamlining everything made the U.S. more vulnerable. It's written by Edward Tenner, distinguished scholar of the Smithsonian's Lemelson Center. And in part of the article, he said this. He said, overlooked is the fact that too much zeal for lean operation has pitfalls of its own. Efficiency, in fact, can be hazardous to our well-being and strategic, and a strategic amount of inefficiency is crucial in keeping society healthy. Later, he said, the pain, grief, and economic ruin brought by the pandemic should teach us that efficiency, though still a worthy goal, must be tempered by what we can only, what can only be called strategic inefficiency. I'll make sure to put the link of the article in the show notes if you want to read the entire thing. It's worth your time. But efficient organizations might include uh, the airline industry. Well, some of you would argue that they aren't very efficient at all and they go bankrupt often. Um, but maybe another one would be the mall. You know, 50 years ago, the mall was a thing. The malls are still around, but they've been slowly losing steam. But they've been left empty for months. Can they recover? What do you do with a huge building full of mostly national chain stores? Many of the anchor stores are declaring bankruptcy and all at a time when people are shopping online more and more. What about movie theaters? I just don't know if we'll have AMC movie theaters in the future. See, the point is this. They've had one way of doing things and only one way. And then a large disruption occurs. The train jumps the tracks and they're stuck. So much bureaucracy and layers of complexity and a culture that said, this is the only way that we can do it. They have a hard time pivoting and reimagining what it could look like for their mission to be expressed differently. Resilient organizations on the other end, they might include uh, Silicon Valley, right? Made up of so many different corporations of disruptive technologies. You might think of Uber or Lyft, Airbnb, Netflix. I think Netflix is one of the most resilient companies over the past 15 years. They have pivoted and changed to meet new technologies and needs over and over again without losing the mission of why they started their company. Remember, they started mailing CDs to your house. Then it was to stream, streaming content. Now they're creating their own content and they continue to grow. Netflix CEO Reed Hastings uh, has made many mistakes along the way. In fact, several years ago, the mistakes were so large and significant that I was convinced that Netflix wouldn't make it to the end of the year. Boy, was I wrong. And they've learned, they have pivoted. But in the midst of the pandemic, I've been watching, and here's what I've noticed. Restaurants who are now doing curbside pickup and delivery I coach several Chick-fil-A restaurants, and right now they are seeing sales that are consistent with last year, this month in their comparisons, and they're only using drive-through. I see counselors and doctors doing telehealth checkups online. Hotels are donating rooms to medical first responders. 
who need to be quarantined between hospital visits and hospital shifts. Organizations that were adamantly against working from home are now adamantly creating policies where you can work from home. Twitter's CEO, Jack Dorsey, just announced that anyone at Twitter can work from home forever as long as you work for their company. I mean, that's resilience. I've seen grocery stores become wonderfully efficient uh, with pickups and deliveries. I see entrepreneurs tapping in and responding to needs. One organization my wife and I have supported is something called face-to-facemasks.org. Face and then the number two, facemasks.org, where it's buy a mask for you and multiply safety by two. For every pack you buy, they donate a pack to homeless shelters for the homeless to wear because they are often the most vulnerable. It's kind of a Tom's Shoes business model, but with masks. We've bought masks for this great great organization, and we're not the only one. In the past several weeks, they've sold almost a quarter of a million masks. Now, there's a book that I read about 10 years ago titled The Starfish and the Spider by Ori Brofman and Rod Beckstrom. And it was extremely helpful for me. Here's the fascinating thing. If you cut off a spider's leg, it's crippled. If you cut off a spider's head, it dies. But if you cut off a a starfish's leg, it grows a new one. And the old leg can grow into an entirely new starfish. Now, marine biologists don't really use the term starfish since they're not really fish. Instead, they call them sea stars. But we know them, of course, as starfish. And a sea star has the ability to regenerate amputated limbs. But first, it must undergo a repair, fra- a repair phase to heal the exposed wound. Once the wound is healed, the sea star can begin to generate new cells, which in turn sparks new growth. Regeneration can take anywhere from several months to years. I mean, this blows my mind. But Broffman and Beckstrom used this metaphor to look at organizations like Wikipedia, Craigslist, Alcoholics Anonymous, Skype. Others come to mind. I mean, I think of movements like the Arab Spring or the Me Too movement, Uber Eats, DoorDash, and online sports news outlets like The Athletic. Traditional, quote-unquote, spiders, which are rigid in their hierarchy and top-down in their leadership, meet revolutionary, quote-unquote, starfish, which rely on the power of peer relationships that, instead of top-down, are much more networked in in their structure. So let me end with a few questions here for you to ponder. Has the desire and the focus to be more efficient actually hurt your ability to be resilient? How has the short-term gain of efficiency impacted your long-term preparation to lead a resilient organization? How could your organization become more like a starfish and less like a spider? If you had a leg cut off, would it be crippling, a death sentence, or a chance for regeneration? And what value is most important to you? Your leadership and your organization? Is it, is it the efficiency or is it resiliency? What is more important to you? Well, I hope this podcast is convincing you that resiliency is more important in the new reality than efficiency. Remember, efficiency is not bad. It's just not the end goal. And when it becomes the end goal, that's when it's bad. Have a longer term mindset as you lead. Think in terms of years, decades, and even generations, not in quarterly earning reports or weekly attendance reports. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining me. And make sure to check out the show notes, including how you can contact me. Again, I would love to hear from you. This podcast is produced by the creatively prolific Joel Limbowen at Onalim Productions. 
Visit onalimproductions.com for all of your video and podcast needs. Leaders, be faithful, available, teachable, and hungry. Keep leaning in and learning.